One of the Northern Territory's top police officers has faced multiple days giving evidence in the coronial inquest into the 2019 death of Kumanjai Walker. After a series of racist text messages exchanged between officers was revealed last year, questions have been asked about the culture in the police force. Jamie Chalker is the Northern Territory Police Commissioner and our guest on Breakfast. Police Commissioner, welcome. Morning. Does the Northern Territory Police Force have a systemic problem with racism? I don't think we've got a systemic problem, but what we have to acknowledge is that there are pockets within our agency where people have been expressing those opinions that certainly don't meet our agency intent and certainly don't accord with what I would think is appropriate behaviour for a police officer. How do you know it's not systemic? Uh, Well, I've sat down and started talking to a lot of police officers and more recently I've started the conversation with our sergeants as well. We've had uh, some evidence given that gives an indication to me that unfortunately the rank of sergeant, there's some people that uh, arguably haven't represented what we would expect, particularly in the leadership space and uh, have been caught up contributing to some of this conversation in the workplace, which is just completely unacceptable. I know the community doesn't accept it. I certainly don't accept it. So I've started sitting down with our sergeants to ask them exactly what they're doing, and I'm very comfortable by the ones I've engaged with so far that uh, they equally were very offended by a lot of this information that's coming out and want to take an active stand against it. Okay, you sat down with every police officer of the rank uh, senior sergeant and above. You're now talking individually, I understand, to all 195 police sergeants. Correct. What happens in those conversations? Well, really, it's about asking them what does the the badge mean to them and what does the oath mean to them. I mean, at at our heart, police officers tend to join organisations such as ours to make a difference. And what we've got to try and make sure is people are getting back to the basic means of why we do what we do. The unfortunate reality in the Northern Territory is we tend to see the outcomes of failed social policy. And it is an unfortunate reality that our people tend to deal with a lot of Aboriginal people, and particularly when they're in their worst condition and their worst state, that unfortunately can have debilitating impacts and roll-on effects. But what I'm trying to say to them is we've got the tools and mechanisms there to give you the appropriate support. Go back to what your heart tells you is the right thing to do. Treat people the way that you should be treating yourself um, and the acceptance that you wouldn't want your family member treated any poorly. So hold good standards, do the right thing, and acknowledge that you're the beacon of safety for many of these people when they're having their worst day. If you're sitting down with one of these people, I mean, it just seems to me that they might tell you what you want to hear. Oh, well, that's always a, a thing, but to do nothing, I don't think is an acceptable approach either. No, no I'm just wondering if, if, you know, how, how you get to, I mean, look, we know that in workplaces, you know, you're, you're the boss. Um, they know how you're feeling about these things. Uh, how are you going to actually more systemically deal with these uh, somehow, what, what are clear prejudices some police officers have that are leading to this behaviour? Oh, look, and I think we've got to have an open conversation. This is exclusive to the Northern Territory Police Force. These issues pervade across all corners of our society, unfortunately, uh, and certainly not limited to our country. But the fact of the matter is, um, my people genuinely, when they first put their hand up to become a police officer, do it because they want to make a difference. There's a very, very good intent. And often when you sit down with people and ask them, you know, what were your dreams, what were your ideations when you first joined, what did you want to do? and start talking to them about those things and how they can make a difference. And then more particularly, talk about some of the evidence that's been presented. 
you can see the physical repulsion that people are having when when I'm having these conversations with them. I mean, it, it is the truth. There have been people who've broken down because they're emotionally invested in trying to do the right thing to have our brand and their police force damaged in this way. Um, really touches them quite deeply. What other steps has the force taken over the last few years to ensure there is an inclusive culture and understanding in the Northern Territory Police? Uh, well, I set up a committee called the DISCO, so it's a diversity inclusion group, and we meet uh, monthly, and we've been doing quite a bit of work out there. We're getting a lot of uh, videos that go internally to the agency where people talk about uh, diversity inclusion and the benefits that come from that. I mean, the Northern Territory is a wonderful melting pot, has been for for decades and decades, and I've been fortunate to be born and bred up here and grow up here. So, you know, it's putting our message out about who we are, what what we are as a, as a community, and I think that's um, certainly touching base. But one of the key things we did, which I've very much driven, is the creation of our Aboriginal Liaison Officer Program through our Community Resilience and Engagement Command. So we're now employing Aboriginal people from community uh, who are joining us at, at entry level, being afforded an opportunity to finally have employment in their own community and they're working alongside our police and introducing them to culture law and understanding it's a a very effective program after what's transpired particularly in this latest case that's obviously um uh, very well known to people across the country but in the northern territory do you understand why aboriginal people particularly in the northern territory feel suspicious about police and, and their views Look, again, I would only urge caution about the, the fact sometimes what you read and hear in the media isn't necessarily the case. Uh, I walk through communities in the Northern Territory and Aboriginal people come up and embrace me. You know, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've lived here uh, pretty much all of my life. I've lived and worked in remote communities. Uh, right now, we've evacuated 300 people from Kalkaringi, a place that I lived and served in 2001. And we went through the exact same process there when the Victoria River broke its banks and mm. that community um, you know, moved to Catherine, and then I was asked by the TOs to fly to Catherine, where they'd been displaced for six weeks, um, to engage with everybody because they were starting to get a bit antsy and upset. You know, you build those levels of respect with Aboriginal people if you are considerate of them, if you are fair and you're objective and you're actively engaged. And you know, I think that's really what we see. Every police location I go to. Everybody comes up to me and asks me, can we have more police? Can we keep more police here? We, we love having our police here. So oh, that's oh. really what's happening on the ground. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking to the Northern Territory Police Commissioner, Jamie Chalker. Look, uh, Police Commissioner, I think there's no doubt, I've seen it myself in remote communities, there are absolutely people who are calling for more police and more support. There's That's absolutely right. But when... Uh, Indigenous people in the NT experience or, or see bear witness to this kind of racism, doesn't it cause you problems in terms of being able to run a police force that's trusted more broadly? That's really at the, the heart of the question. Yeah, and again, as I say, I think, you know, particularly Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory, unfortunately, have an over-representation of engagement with police. But uh, what's quite curious about that, particularly with our regional remote footprint, is... Uh, the relationships our police officers have in community are so deep-seated, it, it's an incredible thing to see firsthand. I mean, you and Demu, after the trial, hosted a community barbecue and they were openly embracing the police officers that were serving in you and Demu at the time. That's an incredible testament to the efforts of those individuals and the personal relationships they've built with community. More broadly, there have been calls for police to stop carrying firearms in remote communities. Is that something you would consider? 
No. Um, look, the use of the long arms in community uh, in the circumstances in November of 2019, uh, we accept that caused apprehension in community. But the sad reality is what our police officers are exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis and in the interest of protecting our people and also the community, the use of sidearms is something that we won't walk away from. I just want to move to the, the, the other huge story which has dominated your work, Alice Springs. It's been over a month since alcohol restrictions were introduced. What impact have they had on crime and violence in the town? Uh, well, certainly since the start of the year, we've seen some really encouraging results uh, once those uh, alcohol restrictions came into place. So on current trend, we've seen a 45% reduction in unlawful entries, about a 30% reduction in domestic violence-related activities, which is a very predominant part of our workload, and about 36% reduction in our youth attendance. So overall, the amenity has improved markedly. Um, certainly what occurs on Monday and Tuesday when there's no takeaway sales is that our workload drops dramatically and we're able to move into a far greater uh, proactive policing um, posture. I'm on the ground here at the moment in Alice Springs, um, certainly having a walk around yesterday, the amenity and bounce of the town is is quite encouraging. And I think there's uh, there's a lot of hope there that if we maintain the momentum, um, we can get things continuing to stabilise and be back to normal. When we last spoke, you said, and, and it was quite a powerful statement, that the Northern Territory can't arrest its way out of the challenges in places like Alice Springs. Correct. Have you seen meaningful steps by the Territory and Commonwealth governments to address the underlying systemic issues? Yeah, so part of the reason why I was here yesterday is there's Commonwealth secretaries that have travelled, uh, CEOs from Northern Territory government agencies have come down and... Uh, they've had a meeting uh, yesterday. We're reconvening again later today, and we're really starting to get into the nitty-gritty to talk about how we can make some substantial change and partner far greater to ensure that the service delivery model is as effective as it can be. Linda Burney, who's the Minister for Indigenous Australians, uh, told me that she thinks that something like what happened in Alice Springs wouldn't uh, wouldn't have happened like this if there was a voice to Parliament. Obviously, we're going to see a referendum this year. Do you are you sympathetic to that view that uh, Aboriginal people need to have voices to Parliament to government to be making making themselves heard on these issues? I, I do, but I, I think local decision making is really the key here, and we spoke about that yesterday in the meeting that I had with the Commonwealth Secretaries. You know, we, we see so many uh, service delivery models being decided, but it's all through a scattergun approach. You know, different entities try and seek funding from different places. We've got to turn that on its head and actually make sure that we understand in the community what is the funding model that's required for the service delivery gaps that present. I think that's the meaningful point about having a voice and being able to work um, with the community to understand exactly what is the best service delivery model we can ultimately provide within the funding envelope that's available. Just finally, and you mentioned uh, this work a little earlier, but just the Northern Territory is currently experiencing record-breaking floods. 700 people have been forced to evacuate with an emergency declaration for the Gregory District. What is the situation this morning? So we managed to move just under 300 people from Kalkaringi yesterday. Um, we saw and uh, uh, received support from the Australian Defence Force. So we've had two C-130s and a C-127 operating uh, late yesterday afternoon, but unfortunately due to the light and weather, they were unable to continue into the night. So we've managed to move just under 300. We anticipate the remainder will all be mobilised from Kalkaringi uh, as of lunchtime today. They're then being transported to the 
our Centre for National Resilience in Darwin, which is the facility we use for all of the international repats during the COVID era. Um, so we'll uh, have a lot of activities engaged for them. Education has been activated. They'll be providing support to the young people. And of course, on the ground today, our survey and rescue teams are going house by house to do assessments of damage to understand how long the uh, evacuees may well be out of community while we set about the work to try and rehabilitate. Police Commissioner, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Jamie Chalker is the Northern Territory's Police Commissioner. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.